Yeah, I made it a little shorter this morning. Uh, didn't do the intro quite as long. Maybe you'll appreciate that. I don't know. Or maybe you're like, what happened to my long intro? I love that song. Um, how you doing? Yeah, I'm back. I'm just pouring a coffee, getting ready. I like to try and do this at the beginning of the week to kind of set the tone for going into the week. Pow. Pretty good. You know what? It needs a little bit of a nuke, though. Let's nuke it. Uh, look, I want to catch up with you because last week was a lot of self-flagellation and I feel... I'm still feeling sheepish. I'm feeling sheepish about how much I revealed, to be honest. Um, oh, by the way, yeah, let's introduce... This is the ADL Driftwood Podcast. A day in the life of the Driftwood Dude. I'm your host, Dave Steve. Dave. And, um, yeah... On this podcast, we talk about dogs, daughters, New York. Uh, I'm, yeah, we're talking about all kinds of things, and I'm kind of looking back on it now, three episodes in, three hours into it. Wow, now that's too hot. Oh man, I just burnt my lips. And um, I'm trying a new thing today. I've got a little um, lapel mic on so that I can play the instruments and kind of switch out different instruments and talk and have both hands free. I just want to quickly interject something as we're watching this. If you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, then you can see the B-roll that I'm using footage is I'm mountain biking. So sorry if you're just listening to this on audio, but if you're watching it on YouTube, you've probably been seeing me mountain bike. And this is actually the ride that I took just after, this is the day after I had done my my big guilty admission about drinking and I felt awful. And so I went, I was going for a mountain bike ride the following day to try and get back on a good, good track. And, uh, ooh, track, no pun intended. And you can see what happened. It's a cold, frosty morning. It's really slippery and I'm about to wipe out. I'm going to time it so that it, okay, so there's the wipeout. And it was just, this is the common wipeout, the old front tire washout where it just slides out from under you and you fall over on your side. And the worst part about this wipeout was I didn't have these hip uh, protector uh, kind of pants that I I wear underneath. They're kind of like hockey pad pants that I wear under my, um, my leggings or whatever. And uh, they protect you exactly for this type of, wi- of wipeout. Because whenever that, this is a really common wipeout where the front tire slides out and you just, you can't even get your feet on the ground. I clip into my pedals. So boom, hit my hip. If I was uh, 10 years older, I probably would have broken my hip. It was really hard, really uncomfortable. But you know what? I stood up, I kind of shook it off and I just kept going. And in about five minutes from now, I start hitting jumps again and moving on with moving on with things and uh, looking forward to it. And I think that that's kind of a metaphor for kind of everyday situation, for these setbacks that we don't see coming that really, really hurt. And that one really, really hurt. And believe it or not, the same thing happened, I think, two days later, again on a frosty morning in a different part of the track, exact same wipeout. That time I had remembered to put my pads on. It was the one time that I'd forgotten to wear them that this happened and I was so annoyed at myself. But just there, there are lessons there about carrying on and um, and being prepared. Isn't that the Cub Scout motto? There we go. That's all I wanted to interject, interject and say. But I recognize that it's kind of a hot, hot mic. We got a hot mic here because it's, uh, well, it's first of all, it's a very cheap lapel mic. It's hard to, you're either, you're either buying wicked quality or junk. 
And before you put $1,000 into a really good headset mic, I thought I wanted to see if it would even work. But of course, I bought a $59 mic made by a company called Boya. And I knew right then there was a lot of telltale signs that I wasn't, I wasn't going with the best that money could buy. And it was funny because I brought it home. Well, I, it, I ordered it online. It comes here. I open up the package, plug it in, plug it all into the iPhone. And immediately the first recording, there's all kinds of like crackling and noise floor. And I'm like, well, this thing doesn't even work. And I actually went as far as to call the company that I'd ordered it from because they were local. They just mailed it. So it saved me a drive. But they were like, yeah, that could just be a dead on arrival return. And I went back and played with it and did the ye old blow into the electronics and kind of wiggled and pushed. And it was just kind of a bad connection where the male to female extender part connects, which is typical for just kind of cheap, cheap electronics. I'm not going to say the country's name, but I think with a name like Boya, we all know where this junk is coming out of. And anytime you buy something that is really that cheap, particularly if it's plastic and electronics, it's like broken quite often as soon as you pull it out of the box. I've had that experience with fans and um, with a number of things. We bought a tricycle for my daughter. This is an electronic, but we put it together and it never really worked in the sense that she could never pedal it because the pedals were too kind of close together to the hub. So you couldn't actually get enough leverage to pedal yourself. She never could. I was like, I don't think, I don't think it's that she can't ride a tricycle. I think it's that she can't ride this tricycle. So can you believe that they actually produced something that crappy, you know, painted it all, it was a Peppa Pig brand too. So it's like a brand name. So Peppa Pig is signing off on this tricycle that doesn't even work. My wife buys it. We bring it home. I assemble it. And, uh, you know, first my daughter was little. She couldn't ride anything. But it was, it was many months, maybe a year on that I was like, you know, I don't think this thing actually works like functionally. It's, yeah. And, uh, and into the garbage it went. Uh, you know, who knows? And... <laughs> It's, that's the state of the world these days. So then I went and bought her her next bicycle. I got her a really good one for a two-wheeled bicycle and, you know, paid a lot of money. It was like a $300 Trek. Nice bicycle for her. She's outgrown it. So, you know, you're kind of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't with, with stuff. Uh, these days, uh, I know it sounds, this is going to sound like so hypocritical because I think some people think of me as Mr material possession, but I really have tried recently to, to downsize that kind of stuff and cool it on the purchasing. And I think that's the only answer when it comes to gear is, um, maybe take your time before you, um, before you load up on stuff. Think about it. I have, I have slowed it down a lot lately. And, um, one of the reasons why I have slowed it down recently is because the topic that we're going to get into, which is uh, the days of 49 and how that relates to the days of 49 is, um, well, I was, I, I have done a, a, a cooling off of my life. I've changed my lifestyle. I said in the last one that I kind of work from home now and I got rid of, um, a lot of overheads so that I could move into my house and, and, and work out of a home studio. And with that came kind of purging a lot of gear. And so that led to the idea of, uh, look, just cool it because gear is all fun while you have it and you're acquiring it and you're adding more and more and more. And it's, Oh, it's wonderful. But one day you run out of room and all of a sudden you just have all this stuff that you gotta kind of figure out what to do with. And suddenly all that stuff becomes a hassle. So yeah, easy on the purchasing of the cheap Peppa Pig tricycle. Let's move on. Uh, I want to address my self-flagellation in my previous uh, podcast 
it was uh, a week ago, actually yesterday, and I had drank the night before. And so as I like to do, I like to kind of start these off with a little, uh, well, a, a general ramble, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to ramble as long on myself in this intro part. So I'm going to get to the, uh, get to the music quicker. Don't bore us, get to the chorus. I will get to the music. I want to address the fact that, um, I did go on and on in the last one about the drinking and I felt kind of strange about it afterwards because I was like, wow, I really revealed that. But on the other hand, I want to also share what I'm interested in. So this is never going to work if I have to prepare a long winded kind of, you know, broadcast TV style level of show. I really want to be myself with this audience. And I want to be able to kind of talk about the things that are interesting to me, like Peppa Pig tricycles and um, buying cheap junk versus saving up and getting the real thing or, you know, whatever the thing is that we're talking about or trying to do a podcast with a cheap lapel mic in your studio. Who knows? I, I don't want to be encumbered by... The idea that I have to hide behind a character and not be genuine, you know, and, and um, I went around and around thinking, should I, should I delete those episodes and just start over? But if I just start over every single time, I kind of want to change or pivot direction. I mean, I'll just, everything will just end up going in the, in the garbage can, like the Peppa Pig tricycle and never going online. So I figured I might as well just start that's who I am. I didn't give away uh, hugely, hugely personal information. I mean, uh, these are all things that you could tell just by looking at my face. You can tell that I'm a white middle-aged guy who has a penchant for booze. I mean, we know these things about me. This is obvious. And um, I, I really want to just make this something that I enjoy doing so that I will continue doing it. And if I I'm free to talk about the things that are on my mind. I'll be more inclined to um, continue with it. So, uh, you know, that's kind of my uh, a little a little last bit of self-flagellation from last week. And you know, I was I've listened to other people much larger than myself who who all kind of go down this road. And you know, I'm I'm getting my tips from the master Bill Burr, who whom I've listened to since 2012, probably. Um, I was listening to. You know, and, he, and like Bill Burr, he, he goes on about that stuff, uh, about his, his, his fight with alcohol. And quite frankly, I thought he was more entertaining when he did indulge. He's been sober for two years and he's gotten a lot more boring. And, you know, I was listening to Rob Lowe's podcast um, and he had Oprah on there. And, you know, Oprah went straight into this story, a personal about, uh, let's just say something that happened to her when she was nine years old. And I was like, whoa, 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 Oprah. Right? Too much information, you know? And she went on and on about it through the whole podcast with Rob Lowe. And, um, and I'm thinking, Oprah, can't you kind of regale us with some anecdotes about Hollywood? Like maybe there was a time when you were at a party and some A-level celebrity got drunk and threw his cell phone across the room or, you know, maybe tell us how you became to be worth a billion dollars. Like, do we have to keep going back to this horrible incident when you were nine years old? And uh, she insisted. Uh, you can look it up. It's on Rob Lowe's podcast called Literally with Oprah. And it was still quite good. And I think that people have found that what makes podcasts... Um, interesting and com compelling, but which makes it compelling listening is when you do share, uh, share stuff about yourself, uh, very vulnerably. Uh, and I, I understand that. And, um, you know, I, I want to be open with an audience on the other hand, though, sometimes when you do overshare, it can put people off as well. Uh, I listen to, um, Mark Maron's, Mark Maron talking about a woman whom he was with, this is very recently, and she died suddenly. And he did a whole hour talking about her and he was crying the whole time and it was hard to listen to, it was too much. And I heard one where 
with Jay Moore. One of his Jay Moore is the comedian who was on. Uh, if you know who he is, you know who he is. It's spelled M O H R, and he's he's brilliant and hilarious. His book about Saturday Night Live is the best thing I've ever read, and it's because it's so candid. The best Saturday Night Live book I've ever read. But then again, I listen. I was listening to his podcast based on how much I liked his book. And I was finding it great until he did one where he was crying in his car about how he'd fallen off the wagon and was on his way driving to an AA meeting and he was doing the whole thing on his like car dash cam. That was it for me. So I guess in both of those ones, uh, you know, they overshared and it put me off. So I'm going to try not to overshare too much with my audience and make it dull. On the other hand, like I said, if I come into everything having done hours and hours of prep and uh, I'm reading from a script and being a character, that's that's going to be no fun for me and I'm going to give up on it a lot sooner. So there's where we're at. To give you a heads up, it was a long weekend. Um, I've been pretty good. I've been exercising. So after my self-flagellation last Monday when I felt awful about drinking, I got a few good runs on the board. I hadn't drank all week. Thursday came along. A friend came over to visit. I told him to bring beers on the way. We got kind of drunk in the afternoon having a visit for the first time in ages. Now, there's those of you who are going to say, what the hell are you doing? Uh, boozing in the middle of the afternoon. And there's going to be other people who say, nice move. And that depends on your age, where you are at life, and how committed you are to the whole booze thing because what happens is at a certain age you realize that drinking late into the end of the night is just a bad move but if you still love to drink you actually there's this neat thing where you can get a buzz in the afternoon then eat dinner and go to bed and you kind of can escape hangover so that's the one that i tried to do and i kind of did it actually and um, i tried to forget about all my self-flagellation and feeling awful about myself that had only occurred four days before. You know, I was in my house. I didn't have to drive anywhere. And so he brought over the the box and we had some, we had a great conversation going and I tried to squeeze a few of those babies down my neck before my family came home and I had to sober up and cook dinner. All right, full disclosure, I did that. Um, then, uh, you know, kind of got back on track, but over the weekend, uh, I had uh, some kind of food poisoning. Whatever my son, my son had it as well, because he's been, as they say down here, spewing. That is a puke. Um, and with him, that's the only symptom, is just periodically he would just puke. <laughs> and And I got it, I just felt awful for a full three days, so I haven't had the urge to do anything other than tea and black coffee. So uh, yeah, that's where we're at. And look, it's a, it's a daily struggle. Uh, everything, once you've developed bad habits and addictions is a daily struggle, isn't it? And so we just carry on one day at a time. So we begin, and as you can hear probably, this is a substantially better audio quality than what my intro was on, which was the Boya microphone. Well, I'm doing it. I'm overbuilding. I have a running joke about uh, how people are prone to overbuild everything. You'd always, I would always see it with uh, people trying to say build anything out of wood. They always start with two by fours when something much smaller would do. So by the time it's done, you're like, how do you like my coffee table? And you're like, how much does it weigh? It looks like a pool table. Like, why did you make that so heavy? It's like, well, I started with two by fours. We always overbuild. The A great analogy was um, on Friends. There's a classic Friends episode where Joey built an entertainment center and he made it so big that it like stretched into halfway the doorway on either side of the wall it was supposed to go on. So they had to get in and out of their bedroom sideways. It's a great one. In the end, they, uh, he, he, they're trying to sell it. And they, he, to prove to the guy how big it is, he says we can both get in. And so they, they get inside the entertainment center and then the guy robs them. 
uh, it's classic. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm overbuilding this podcast already because I had purchased that cheap lapel microphone thinking, yeah, it'll be great. I can just record the whole thing onto this lapel mic. And of course, in the first part of this, I talk about how how disappointed with it I was with the uh, noise floor and noise that it produced. Well, I've actually recorded this part of the podcast once already, and that noise floor reappeared. So the intro, what you're hearing is that is that's it working at its best, the Boya, and then I, then it suddenly developed this noise, which I didn't notice until I'd recorded the whole thing, listened back to it, and was livid. So. Um, I've done it. I've now gotten out my vocal microphone and we're f- recording into the computer. I'm no longer on the comforts of my iPhone. I don't think I'm going to do this for for every show, but um, I'm going to give it a try. Uh, I'm learning as we go. And so this is this is me learning, uh, learning this process, giving it a shot, doing it this way. And I guess if anything, I'm going to learn was it any harder or more difficult and what do we gain from it? So let's continue on. I'm talking about uh, the song, The Days of 49. And I would say by Bob Dylan, but Dylan didn't write it. It's a, it's a traditional. And I found a few sources on the internet that uh, say say it's a traditional. I found one that has a guy who wrote it. So anyway, I'm comparing the song, The Days of 49 with uh, a song that's... Uh, this one we know is by Gene Ritchie originally, but it came across my radar through Michelle Schacht, and it's called uh, The LNN Don't Stop Here Anymore. And the reason why I want to compare those two songs is they're both folk songs, they're traditionals, they've been covered by a number of different people over the years. Each time they're covered, they've changed the key of the song, the... Um, the melody has changed. Not only has the key changed, actual chords changed. In uh, Johnny Cash's version of LNN Don't Stop Here Anymore, he changes it from a minor to essentially a major key uh, and puts in a, a, a five turnaround that's not even there. I mean, he completely changes the song. And um, I, all I have for Days of 49 is the Dylan reference uh, to the song but I can see in the original lyrics that it is quite a bit different from uh, from Dylan's version. But that's what happens with folk songs is folk songs are called folk songs because they're for the folks. They're songs that were written, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, I heard Pete Seeger, one of the great American folk song guys of all time. Uh, and, and, you know, Pete Seeger said these songs were written to be listened to just a handful of people. That's all they were ever probably intended to be heard. That's all anyone would have ever thought they would have been heard. They would be passed down from person to person over generations. And they would change key and they would be sung by women and sung by men. And and speaking of which, um, the LNN don't stop here anymore. Jean Ritchie, who wrote it, is a woman. And I believe there's a line in it where she she genders herself as a male, uh, and, you know, and, and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Daddy sat me down. It's right in the first line. Daddy sat me down on his knee, said, son, you go to school and learn your letters. So um, but it was written by a woman, um, not unlike, you know, uh, House of the Rising Sun written by a man. Well, me and me and Bobby McGee was written by Chris Christopherson and kind of sunk from a girl's point of view and made famous by um, Janet Joplin. So th- there we go. Th- th- these things can happen. The songs can, um, can yeah, yeah. So are you thinking of uh, going back to House of the Rising Sun? I mean, Eric Burden is a man singing it from the perspective of a woman. I guess that's what I was thinking. Those are a lot of the similarities with those two folk songs, plus the fact that they're both in minor keys. Uh, and that they have a verse and a chorus that tends to kind of, it doesn't really change melody too much between the verse and the chorus and keeps the same kind of meter. And of course, the biggest similarity in the lyrical content is that The Days of 49 is about the, the California gold rush of 1849. 
So it's about a time of prosperity and boom towns and and this wild time of excess as as East Coasters and people from the middle of America and all parts, all far-flung places, Canada and probably Mexico, were all rushing to um, Northern California to to get rich with gold. And uh, and if you talk to New Zealanders, the same thing actually happened here uh, right around the same time. People were coming from Asia and China, and that's apparently where uh, a large part of the Chinese community in the South Island, it was all around Dunedin in the South, and man, it's cold down there. So really interesting history to think back that long ago when there would have been steamships and not really electric power anywhere. I mean, it was a completely different world. If you were transported there now, it would feel like a different planet. And these people made their way to all these rustic places to find gold to to get their riches so that they would, you know, never have to work again. And in many cases, you know, the opposite happened. They lost limbs, they lost their life, they got sick. Um, you know, they uh, it took everything from them, this, uh, this gold rush. And that's that's what I think makes the Wild West and the expansion into the West and the expansion into these new places so interesting to remember these times. And where I got all my information about this, I, I guess I'll give a quick shout out to a few of the books that I have read over time because I can't remember which book I got it from. But uh, there's three here on my Kindle. Um, and so it's it's from one of them, I'm quite certain. It's either a book called, and I'll put links to these in the description, description of uh, the video uh, or and on the pod- podcast actually on the audio I can do it as well um, American Nations a history of the 11 rival regional cultures of North America this is a book that I am continually going over and over I love it and it's by Colin Woodard that book it's fantastic and how uh, regionally uh, all the way back to the founding of America and when people were populating the whole continent. Um, ideologically, a lot of those beliefs have held from then until now. And it explains why, uh, say, the Yankees up in the Northeast tend to have the same political values as uh, people on the, on, the, on the West Coast and why uh, Southerners, typically people in the South, are a bit more anti-government and and are, are really big on freedom. And so, yeah, that book explains a lot. It's it's fantastic. And I can't remember, though, did, did my knowledge of the gold rush of 1849 come from that book or this one called White Trash, the 400-year untold history of class in America by Nancy Eisenberg, which I also loved that book and is fascinating. Or was it A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn? So it's one of those books. And at the risk of being um, mistaken for an intellectual, uh, I, I do have to, again, give full disclosure that I don't actually read these books in the sense that like a normal person sits down and opens a book and reads them. First of all, they're on my Kindle, but I still cheat even harder than that. It's not an audio book, but what I do is a thing called text-to-speech. So I have an older Kindle. They took away this feature, and I, I actually had to, when my oldest, when my old Kindle like this uh, died, I had to go on eBay and buy another one, a used one from someone, in order to get this this feature. So what I do is put on what's called text-to-speech, and the book reads to me like this. West, agreeing only that it would eventually be divided between them. On their maps there was just an enormous mass of land called the Oregon Territory, which encompassed what is now British Columbia, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. Looks like they're talking about the West Coast right there. So yeah, I like to listen. I like to listen to it spoken to me by Microsoft Sam voice. It's a weird thing. Some people say it's weird. You know what? It really helps me fall asleep. I put earbuds in that way and can fall asleep sometimes. And if not, you just get to lie there and have a fascinating tale 
told to you. And I'm not really big on um, fictional books. I like uh, stuff like that, history or um, anthropology, actually. Okay, moving into uh, the topic of the Days of 49 and the song itself. Uh, the the oldest version I can find of it, just with a quick Google search here, and I didn't look really that hard. So if you're fascinated, you could dig in a lot deeper. Like I said, originally the song came across my radar from a 1970 album by Bob Dylan called Self Portrait. And see, I always thought it was a Dylan original. All the characters in the song sound like Dylan characters, the way that he's got individual verses and each verse tells a separate story, just so much like Dylan, the way he presents Tangled Up in Blue and Desolation Row. It, it just, it reeked of a Dylan song. And what's kind of ironic about that is here's a Dylan song or a song that Dylan's playing that you might think is an original is actually a traditional cover. And then there's other songs that you think are traditionals you don't think Dylan wrote. Like as I mentioned in uh, a previous one, uh, you know, um, To Make You Feel My Love, Wagon Wheel, or You Ain't Going Nowhere. These songs and even, you know, his, his, his epic ones, uh, The Times They Are A-Changing or Blowing In The Wind, they seem like they're older than Dylan. They seem like they've been around forever. You, you don't think that Dylan wrote them. But ironically, he did write those songs. However, he didn't write The Days of 49. So from this... From this website called the Kloosterman Genealogy, with a K, Kloosterman. I don't know, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I just found that here it says traditional lyrics, and there's a version here by John A. Lomax, Cowboy Songs, maybe that's the name of the album, 1916. And looking over the lyrics, they're similar to Dylan's, but they are different. There's a there's a verse here called There's Old Aunt Jess, that hard old cuss who never would repent. He never missed a single meal, nor never paid a cent. Why why didn't Dylan use that? That's funny. Okay, so there's different lyrics, different um versions, and much like a folk song, it, it they get, you know, passed down over the years, and uh you know, things change, and Dylan's infamous for changing his stuff. So uh, I'm about to play the Dylan version or a verse of it uh, on the Mando. And the reason why I chose the Mando for this is because, you know, earlier I was saying about, uh, in a previous episode, I was saying how um, the song You Ain't Going Nowhere is only three chords. And it's the first song that I always attempt when I jump on a new instrument I've never played before. Well, I actually am going to apologize in advance for my Mando playing because I'm really rough on the Mando. But I picked it up about a year and a half ago and I've played it on and off. And, uh, you know, this is the first time I've pulled it out of the its case and tuned it up in ages. And uh, you know what? I might keep it in circulation for a little while. So Days of 49 actually is one that I found kind of boring on guitar, but I was finding it kind of challenging and a good exercise on the Mando. So... Uh, I'm gonna I'm going to give an attempt on the mando. That's mandolin, by the way. I'm old Tom Moore from the bummer shore in the good old golden days. They call me a bummer and a gin sot too, but what cares I for praise? I wander around from town to town, just like a roving sign. And all the people say there goes Tom Moore in the days of 49. Come on, F chord, don't fail me. In the days of old, in the days of gold, how oftentimes I repine. In the days of old, when we dug up the gold, in the days of 49. Eh, not bad. Try verse 2. My comrades, they all love me well, jolliest saucy crew. A few hard cases I will recall, though they all are brave and true. Whatever the pinch, they never would flinch, they never would fret away. Like good old bricks, they stood the kicks in the days of 49. Old in the days of gold, how oftentimes I repine. In the days of old, in the 
vote when they dug up the gold in the days of 49. The mic was a little bit hot on the vocals, but uh, again, look, we're just trying to do this and get it out there. And um, it's early days, so um, it's early days of 49. So hopefully you're sticking with me because you find something interesting in this. And uh, I, I do promise I'll try to improve as I go. I'm learning as I go and I'm doing it all on the fly without, uh, hopefully without making this, you know, kind of some kind of epic, you know, James Cameron-esque uh, avatar type project for myself. So if you're a fan of that song, I recommend the album. It's fantastic. Self-Portrait is, I think, a, a little gem of Dylan's uh, albums as well. I love that album. And as you can see, each verse kind of tells a little story and uh, they're hilarious. They're really, uh, his wordplay is fantastic. Um, I'll just read out one of my favorite verses, the second to last one. There was Ragshaw Bill from Buffalo, I never will forget. He would roar all day and roar all night and I guess he's roaring yet. One day he fell in a prospect hole in a roaring bad design. (laughs) And in that hole, he roared out his soul in the days of 49. So as I said, you know, they, they can lose their life there. They could lose limbs and eyes in fights. And uh, fascinating to think about that time. And uh, of course, it's, it's about a, a, an epic boom time being told by a person who's now lived through that time. And they're living in poverty and they're looking back on it and, uh, you know, kind of pining for those days when they used to be a big shot. And uh, it's a funny thing because I kind of feel like uh, that is happening right now in real life for a lot of things that we're going through in our own real lives right now. And I I think YouTube is probably the biggest example. Uh, People who were in YouTube in the days of 49, in the halcyon days prior to uh, COPPA, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, that decimated, I would say, half the channels in terms of ad revenue because they were all for kids. And um, there's a number of other issues, but there was a peak time. Uh, I think Logan Paul lived through it. I think around that peak area era when, uh, I would say about, th- about three years ago, was really the good time to be on YouTube doing it. But at the same time, there was a ton of abusers on the platform at that time. And that's, that's what actually got the ball rolling in terms of this, the, the COPPA thing, because there were just so many abusers making just absolute rubbish brain poison in order to, with, with one, one target in mind, and, and that was to get ad revenue on videos that were absolute garbage. And YouTube is clamped down on those channels and rightfully so, but um, it's a different it's a different landscape on there right now. And I see that from a number of YouTubers. I, I watch, I follow a number of people on there and you can see that they're kind of scrambling and trying to find alternative uh, revenue streams and uh, through clothing or merch or podcasts or donations or Patreon because it really is no longer the days of 49 on there. That COPPA thing, which anyone who's uploaded a video to YouTube will know that it it asks you a number of questions about whether or not your video is for children or not. And you have to admit whether it is or it isn't. And if you say it is, you are no longer eligible for targeted ads. And of course, they pay a lot higher per view. So... The incentive is to make content that is not for children. So you'll get, you know, less views, still earn more ad revenue. And I do find it interesting, the amount of channels that I come across that I suspect are not claiming that they're for children when they clearly, clearly are. You know, uh, I look at a lot of family vlogs and I think, you know, you have children starring in this video. This video is all about your children. And you're just in there kind of uh, directing your children through this video. And the people who are identifying with this are a children audience. Are you claiming that this is for children, you know, or, or are you saying that it's not and that it's a parent channel? 
Well, I'm a big question mark about that. I, I don't know. Only only th- them and YouTube would, would know that. But, um, you know, I think at some point, if there was investigations into a lot of these channels, a lot more would get turned into a, uh, a four children's channel if, if YouTube looked at it closer. And I think it's only a matter of time. What I have found is that eventually they, they do get around to the bad players and eventually they, things start clamping down. That's just the way that, that the world works. Whenever there's an easy thing to exploit, like a way that you can go out to California and dig a shovel into, the, into a stream and pull gold out of the stream with your bare hands, eventually that goes away. Uh, just like in YouTube, you know, they, they started clamping down on audio copyright across the board. It's gotten so difficult to put music on copyright. I'm going to be interested to see what happens here. Me playing a cover of Days of 49. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Um, the withholding tax now has come through and they continually make YouTubers resubmit W8 Ben forms and tax forms. It's getting more and more frequent because uh, obviously... You know, the, the powers that be that are bigger than YouTube, that's the government, are are saying, look, you know, it's time that everybody paid their, their fair share and they're, they're, getting, they're getting made aware of the money that's happening here. And so independent channels are being chipped away at and chipped away at until really it's, it's just the corporates that are really thriving on YouTube. And interestingly enough, that's what happened in the days of 49 because... Uh, just individuals would go out there with, you know, their, their wagons and make their way across the whole continent in a small group, young men, maybe women, maybe young families going out there to seek their fortune. But within a very short period of time, they'd scooped up all the easy gold. And after that, it got really hard to make money from it. And you needed water and resources and water cannons and things. And suddenly it, it became only the corporation's that could do it. And so, you know, these individuals would look back on it, like in this song in the days of 49, and uh, kind of pine for those days uh, of the easy, easy money when there was this opportunity to get rich before different forces came from all directions and kind of clamped down on that possibility. So I'm going to switch gears now to a song about a different topic called The LNN Don't Stop Here Anymore. And that uh, that's about a train that used to go through a a boom town and i guess whatever the resources were that they were exploiting in that area uh, are now are now gone and so the train no longer stops there and with it the town has lost all its economy all its income and the kids uh you know the fathers have no work and they're even poorer than they ever were. That happened all throughout the states with uh, oil and um, and mines. And th- this is the early days of those resources when they found them all. And these boom towns would pop up. And then once the resources were exploited, they would disappear. This song, The LNN Don't Stop Here Anymore, was written by uh, a woman uh, named Jean Ritchie, who was uh, a famous folk singer in um, around the 50s, I think. She played the dulcimer and she preferred to play solo. And interestingly, when she wrote this song, she plays it in a completely different key. She plays it in A minor. And the melody's different too from, from what the, one, the version that I know, which is Michelle Shocked. I became aware of this song many years ago. A friend, a friend picked up the guitar and started playing it for me. And I said, what is that? That is amazing. And he said, oh, that's called The LNN Don't Stop Here Anymore by Michelle Shocked. Well, she was covering this old Gene Ritchie, but I thought Michelle Shocked took it in a completely different direction. And so, um, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the Gene Ritchie melody first, just to show you the difference of how it's changed over time. So the Gene Ritchie uh, version, which is out there, it's right there on YouTube, is in, she does it in A minor, and I'm going to sing it at an octave lower. She goes, When I was a curly-headed baby My daddy sat me down on his knee He said, son, you go to school, learn your letters Don't you be no 
vino dusty i'm not sure if she goes to the e minor or the g there she does the chorus the same i was born and raised in the mouth of the hazard holler but it's interesting because michelle shocked completely changes it michelle shocked plays it like this and i'm gonna i'm gonna do a verse and a chorus When I was a curly-headed baby Daddy sat me down on his knee He said, son, you go to school Learn your letters Don't you be no dusty coal miner like me here I was born and raised in the mouth of the hazard holler Cold cars rolling rumble past my door Now they stand in a rusty row all empty Cause the LNN don't stop here anymore So, yeah, I highly recommend that song. Uh, I just adore it. I love the story that it tells. It's from the perspective of a small child who actually is pining for the days when the LNN used to come through there because it seemed like his dad was rich and they had lots of money. And he even turns it into a dreamscape at the end and says, Last night I dreamed I went down to the office to get my paycheck like I'd done before, but there were kudzu vines all covering up the doorway, and there were leaves and grass growing right up through the floor. Uh, again, about uh, the dissolution of, uh, of a boom time, and in the form of a folk song, and that folk song has, has passed its way through a number of artists over the years, and you can hear how it's changed itself. And, uh, and that's what folk songs do. They mutate and they change until eventually, uh, you know, they, when they do finally become ubiquitous and everybody knows about it, quite often it isn't anywhere close to the same version that was originally written. Uh, I'm going to play you a quick example of that with the Johnny Cash version. So Johnny does it way down here in E. I think Johnny does everything in E. But he plays it also in a major, and he kind of does it like a three-chord thing. When I was a curly-headed baby, my daddy sat me down on his knee. He said, boy, you go to school, learn your letters. Don't you be no dusty coal miner like me. So there's three very, very different versions of essentially the same song, song written by Gene Ritchie, passed on to different artists uh, with their own interpretation of it. I think that's really what I wanted to share today. I wanted to compare those songs with each other, how they move, how folk songs move through people and through uh, generations, and compare it to now, how... Uh, between YouTube and Bitcoin and the housing market, we're really seeing some ups and downs of our very own days of 49. Now, it's worth mentioning with both those songs, they are both in minor keys. And I have said before that I think minor keys are a bit of a cheat code. I think that you get an easier, good-sounding song when you put it in a minor key. And it is more difficult to make a sincere, moving song in a major key. I find that to be a, bitter, a bigger challenge as a songwriter than to write a cool song in a minor key. I don't know why that is, but both of them get the, the kind of the minor key helping hand, the minor key cheat code. And speaking of the Michelle Shocked one, there are so many songs in that E minor vein that all kind of float around those few chords that sound awesome and I was going to play them but you know what I'm just I'm just going to name them off Turn the Page by Bob Seger is very similar in structure uh, Indifference by Pearl Jam Creep by Stone Temple Pilots their version of the song called Creep uh, Heard About You by uh, the Gin Blossoms 
there's a song by The Verve. You come in on your own. These are all songs that I used to play uh, in the mid-90s when I played live. And of course, Rockin' in the Free World by Neil Young is E minor DC. The reason why I, I thought of them is because I used to play all these songs back in the day. And when I first started performing live, I thought, oh, these songs are so great and they're so moody. And I, I was such a moody, cranky, early 20-something-year-old. And I'm going to get up there and show the world what a sensitive, deep, introspective person I am. And I would string together a bunch of these boring songs. And the feedback would always be... I, I played with a bass player who was 15 years older than me. And so he he had a different group of friends come and watch us. And the, the, the feedback from these, you know, mid-30-something friends was always you guys are depressing, you know, and, and we're here to drink beer and, and it's the weekend. And why are you, why are you punishing me with these depressing minor key songs? But, but early performers, when you're young and you're just starting out, I don't know why, but it's, it's attractive to play these kind of morose songs. And, uh, and I certainly did my fill of them. I, I mean, I literally would do a 20 minute, um, like medley of them to the point that I would, I wasn't satisfied until I had turned the audience into, have you seen the movie Night of the Living Dead? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't satisfied until, until the audience were crying into their beer. So <laughs> it's, um, it's again, that's the, that's the cheat code, uh, the, the, the minor, the minor key cheat code. So I promise next week I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to lighten things up and get back to, uh, get me back to a major key, man. And, uh, and I will, I've had a good time. I'm going to wrap it up. That's it. And, um, look, this was a new, a new effort, a new thing that I was doing today, giving this a shot with the studio mic and standing up with the guitar and the mando. And I don't know, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I had the idea for this. I want to get it out of my head. And now it's done. Days of 49, L&N. Uh, you know, I'm going to sign off and catch up with you next week. Good talking at you.